Today's shir begins from the top of Daf Samach Vov. You'll notice a Mishnah on the side of our marked Gemaras. You'll notice a topic heading we call the Nosei. And it reads, Neder Shehutur Miksosoi Hutur Kulo. A vow that was partially absolved results in the entire vow being absolved. In order to appreciate that, we will learn the Mishnah with its examples and understand this a little better. You'll notice we have a, relatively speaking, a long Mishnah, and the section of the Gomorrah that follows it is quite a bit shorter. Um, and then, if you continue looking down the page, you'll notice the next Mishnah is also quite long, with the Gomorrah that follows going to Amit Beis. But we continue now with the Mishnah at the top, in order to appreciate that, the word poschen, of course, means the scholar, the Torah sage that's approached for the absolution of one's vow, uh, starts or opens the vow, literally speaking, absolves it, using Shabbos and Yom Tov as a basis. What do we mean by that? So we take a look at the run at the top line, we tell the client, the individual seeking absolution, had you known that it's prohibited to experience suffering or uh, restraint uh, on Shabbos, would you have made the vow? If he responds, no, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have made the vow. Matirin oso. Then we re- release him from the vow. Uh, we continue now with the, the Mishnah. Barishona at the beginning, it was said, that if a person vowed, let us say, for the next month, I'm not going to uh, partake of uh, some type of food that one enjoys. So, part of the month, you have Shabbosis, and you also, if it's a holiday month, you'll have a holiday days. So, originally, the vow would have been uh, released in a partial fashion, uh, whereby we would say, you know, you vowed that for the next 30 days you're not going to eat uh, roasted chicken. Do you know that part of that time there's Shabbos in Yom Tov? And as we saw in the Ran, he would say, had I known that I'm not allowed to mitzta'er on those days, I wouldn't have vowed, so they would have released him from those days. But the weekdays, the rest of the month, the vow would have still been binding. That was what originally was done. Ad Shebo Rabbi Akiva made until Rabbi Akiva came along and taught the following principle. Shaneder Shehutur Miksasu, a neder, that a vow that was partially absolved, Hutur Kulo, the entire vow is, is absolved. The uh, Ran on the third line from the top says, Shekol Neder Shehutur Miklolo, Hutur Kulo, Yalfinu Lo Biushami, this is derived in the Yushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, Midichtiv, the Pasik says, Kechol That in one, when one vows, he has to do according to everything that came out of his mouth. The that implies that only when the entire vow is intact, then he is bound. Therefore, if it's partially released, so then nothing remains. The Rosh, in his commentary, You'll notice in the uh, lower part of the page, about halfway down the Rosh commentary, even though the scholar did not find a way of absolving the entire vow, but, but nevertheless, since when the person initially made the vow, he did so thinking with the, with the intention that the entire vow would remain intact. The result of that is that when you release part of the vow, that's already a, a deviation from the original intent. And as a result, the whole, uh, the whole building, so to speak, falls down. That's the whole vow is absolved. That's Nimse Hitarta Mitzosoi Pesach Lukula. Now we continue in the Mishnah. Ketzad. And here the Mishnah gives us examples. Omar, kunim sheini nene l'kulchem. A person vows that he is uh, not going to uh, 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 benefit from all of you. 
If one of them is absolved, then he is allowed to benefit uh, from all of them. If a person says, I am not going to uh, grant benefit to this one and to this one, and he lists people off, one after the other in that fashion, as opposed to in example one, where it was a, an entire group, here he enumerates. I'm not going to grant benefit to this one, and to this one, and to this one. If the first one, the first person is, uh, then the, if the vow is released or absolved with regard to the first one, so all the rest of the people that were enumerated are also now uh, uh, released from the vow. It's, if you can imagine, a row of dominoes, so that when the vow was stated, it was, we'll say, built upon the first person that was identified or enumerated, and when he is released, so then all the others, being that they were patterned after the previous one, so when the first one is released, the second one being patterned after the first one, the third one patterned after the second, once you release the first one, then all the rest are released. If the last person in the list of individuals that was restricted from benefit, if he is released from the vow, only the last one is released, but all the previous ones remain subject to the vow. If a person says that he is uh, not going to benefit from, or he's not going to grant benefit to this one, and he uses this language, korbon, loze korbon, viloze korbon, it's as if he's spelling out an entire uh, vow text individually to each person. This is different than the case we saw before of Lozev, Lozev, Lozev. The Rosh, uh, on the second of the widest lines, says, Lozev Korban, Lozev Korban, Begemor Mukilok Rabbi Shimon. In the Gemara, they, the, this uh, Mishnah will be set up in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon appears in the context of the vow taken in the case of a, 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 an entrusted item to be watched. And here the Rosh explains the background to that issue of Shavuas HaPikadon. A person was sought, charged, or five people came to collect from him. He was sought after, and initially he says, I don't owe you anything. And he swore to that effect, that I don't owe you anything. And this was repeated five times. Five different people who were seeking collection from this guy. And he s- denied and swore to that effect, and then confessed. He will not be guilty of bringing, or obligated to bring, a separate Sacrifice for having lied in his vow. Ad Until he says shvua, he swears to Mister One, and then shvua to Mister Two, shvua to Mister Three, etc. If, however, he would simply say. Uh, to the five guys, Shavua, I don't owe you anything, in, in a group fashion, so he's guilty only of one sacrifice for his false oath. But if he says, Shavua, I don't owe you, Shavua, meaning I, I swear, I don't owe you, Shavua, and he individualizes it in that fashion, then he'll be chayev for, for each uh, each vow a separate sacrifice which is the obligation of one who swears falsely according to the Rabbonin who disagree with Rabbi Shimon they say even if you don't repeat uh, I swear to you 
that I don't owe you anything, and I swear to well, even without that. If he merely says, I swear that I don't owe you, and not you, and not you, in that fashion, without repeating, I swear to you, that itself is an individualizing of the offense. And the call hocha. Likewise, over here in our Mishnah, im Omar, if a person would say, or I will not benefit that would be considered, according to the Rabbonon, a, a separate vow. So, in our Mishnah, what's the language of our Mishnah? He says, or depending on the Girsa, Shani Nene. Loze korban, for loze korban. That is, as the Rosh says, according to the Gemara, that is in the spirit of Rabbi Shimon's approach. And hence, uh, the Mishnah says, if a person speaks thusly, tzrichin pesach lechol echad vechad, a separate absolution with regard to each individual will be necessary. The triangle marking. You can see on the side under the Nosei Mivneh heading, Havlotas Dugmois Doimois Shukinim. We're highlighting the uh, two similar examples that the Mishnah gives with a vowel using the expression Kinam, which we've seen many, many times. The double underline highlights the expression Omrulo. Mituar Odom, we're going to describe a person, Shinodar Alpi Hanachar, Havona Musiemes, person had vowed. Uh, assuming a certain premise, and afterwards, after he vows with his, with his assumption, he's then informed that there's a partial error in his assumption. Now, let's apply it practically in the Mishnah. He, a person imposes upon himself through a vow a restriction, upon wine, that he will not partake of wine, because wine is bad for your digestive tract. People told him, but aged wine is actually good for your digestion. So the, the vow regarding the aged wine is not binding. And not only with regard to the aged wine, but rather with regard to all wines, there is no longer any vow. Botsol. He vows not to uh, eat from onions. Onions are bad for your heart. And then he was told, but but the kufri type onion is good for your heart. Hutter bekufri. So that the vow with regard to the kufri is certainly not binding. It was a, a, a nether based on an error. Velo bekufri bilvan hutter. Elo bechol solemn. And not only with regard to the kufri type onion is the vow released, but it is released with regard to all onions as well. An incident like this happened, and Rabbi Meir declared that he is permitted to partake of all onions. The Gemara. We open with a quote from the Mishnah. And the Rashash points out that you have to really keep reading on in the Mishnah to the point that it said, She'ani ne'ne korban and Velazeh Korban, etc. Tzrichin Pesach Lechol Echod Ve'echod. Now, the Gemara asks, Man Tana, who is the author? And we take a look at the Ran, and what we're going to be seeing uh, might re- remind us of that which we already saw in the Rosh. The Ran says, Man Tana, Demidikotoni, Lozeh Korban, Velazeh Korban, where a person had <coughs> uh, vowed uh, not to uh, benefit this one as a as if it, as if it were a sacrifice. A sacrifice being the example of something that's prohibited. And he used this language: a separate absolution for each individual is necessary. Alma de proto 
Hello Kimitkar Korbon Akol Chad Vchad. There is an opinion then in this Mishnah that it's not considered an individualized vow unless you add the word korban for regarding each person. Hodlav Hachi had it not been like that. Rather, Loshnomar Lozeh Vilozeh Bevov. I'm not going to uh, benefit from. Uh, or I'm, I'm not going to grant benefit to this one and to this one and to this one. Oi, Lozeh, Lozeh, or he says, I'm not going to grant benefit to this one, to this one, each time uh, referring to a person or people that were standing in front of him, and he said, Lozeh, the Lozeh, meaning this one and this one, below Vov, without a Vov. So there's no difference whether the Vov was attached, the Vov means and. The Vov was attached to each word or not. Either way, Klola Have, it's a group vow. Uman Tana, who is the Tana that does not make a distinction and all vows would be considered group vows. And when we say a group vow, so as we saw before in the Rosh, if a person violates it, in the case of a Shavua, he would be have only one Korban, because it's all grouped together. So who is the Tana that says thusly, that only if you add a complete expression like korban lozeh, the korban lozeh, or as we saw in the rush before, shvua lo lozeh, shvua lo lozeh, I don't owe you, and he, swear, he swears I don't owe you, I swear I don't owe you, down the line. Umantana, who holds like that? Oma, rova Rabbi Shimon he. That is Rabbi Shimon's approach to uh, language of vowels and the division of the vowels into individual Units. The Yomar Perak Shwas Hapikadon, who says in Maseches Shwas Gabi Hoyu Hamisha Toivino, so this is the same example that we saw in the Rosh, where someone was being uh, uh, seized upon by five separate people claiming uh, that uh, he owed them money. The Omar and the person uh, uh, who was being claimed from responds. Lo lecha, lo lecha, or lo he swears, I, I don't owe, not you, not you. He is not, and he turns out, of course, to be lying. He's not considered in violation of separate vows. Unless he adds that word, without adding that key word, Lo lecha, shvua, lo lecha, down the line. Without that, bain bevov, bain belovov, klola havi. Whether <coughs> the vov is added to the lecha word or the vov is not added, it is considered one general vow. And if it turns out that he was lying with regard to each person, he's only in violation of one vow, resulting in only one carbon, even though he was denying to five different people. So now the Gemara continues. After asking the question, who is the author of our Mishnah? Omar Rava, Rabbi Shimon, he. This is in accordance with Rabbi Shimon, the Omar, who said there in Maseches Shavuos, Ad Shioimar Shavua, Lechol Echad Vechad, that he's not considered guilty of individual uh, oath violations unless uh, he said the word Shavua initially to each one when he was denying uh, the the debt to each one or the denying uh, 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 having in possession his possession their items the Mishnah said that uh, when he is informed that the aged wine is good for his system so we said that is the basis of releasing him from the vow. What was his initial vow, though? His initial vow was, I'm not going to drink wine because wine is bad. It's negative for the mayayim, for the digestion. What if he was informed by the people that the miyushan is not bad? Basically, the miyushan is neutral. Without saying that the Mushan is positive, is good. 
would it not have been enough to absolve him of the vow by informing him contrary to what he thought that the wine is bad by simply informing him that the wine is neutral it's not bad that's what we, that's what the Gemara now asks the table clay could we not have concluded that the vow was mistaken the ain ra that the wine is simply not bad why did the Mishnah emphasize that contrary to what he thought that the wine was bad the wine is good meaning it's positive Omar Rabbi Abba vi'oid yofe kotani Rabbi Abba is saying in fact our point is well taken that to undo the vow it would have in fact been enough to tell him that the miyushan is not bad and as far as our Mishnah is concerned all it's saying is an additional piece of information that and by the way it happens to be good as well if we look in the Ran in the lower part of the Ran commentary first of all the Ein Ra the Mushan contrary to what you thought it is not bad and that's really enough to absolve him of the vow it goes without saying that the vow would be absolved if the Mushan was actually positive, was, that, was actually good. The Gemara continues, Now the same uh, idea that we had with the wine is referred to with regard to the Botzol. The Tepokle De'en Ra, could the Mishnah not have established that the vow regarding the onions is not binding because the Kufri onion is in fact not bad? You're right. It would have been enough to absolve him of the vow by realizing that the uh, kufri is uh, not bad. And furthermore, it goes without saying that the vow is is absolved by the fact that it, the onion is actually good for the heart. The Mishnah. If a person had, let us say, vowed to divorce his wife. This is the example that you can see in the Rosh. The Mishnah continues, Omrim Lo, we tell a person that vowed to divorce his wife. We say, Had you known, He so and so is the temperament of this guy that he divorces his wives he's a wife divorcer and regarding your children they will refer to them as they're the daughters of divorced mothers what did this guy see uh, so faulty in their mother that he divorced her this is what we inform the vower people will say. The Omar and the vower upon hearing this responds, Had I known that this is the way things would be, I wouldn't have made the vow. That is a, an acceptable absolution. Man says, I vow not to marry so and so she is ugly and it turns out that she is pleasant she is pretty she's attractive or he vows I'm not going to uh, marry her because she is black and it turns out she is white he vows not to marry because she is short and it turns out that she is tall Mutter Ba. He is allowed to marry that woman. Lomitne Shihi Kurovanasis no Shrevanasis Lavonic Servanasis Aruka. Not because she underwent some change that she really was ugly and became attractive, she was black and became white, she was short and became tall, Elo, Shahaneder Tos. Rather, simply because his neder, his vow, was mistaken. It was mistaken from the outset. From the time that he vowed, 
he thought she was one thing if she really was something else there was an incident where a man vowed not to benefit his niece and she was then brought to Rabbi Shmuel and he made her attractive Rabbi Shmuel said to the man uh, from this one you had vowed this beautiful woman not from her Rabbi Shmuel absolved him from the vow and allowed her to be married to this man at that moment Rabbi Shmuel cried out of out of mercy and compassion the daughters of Israel Jewish women are beautiful it's only that the that their impoverishment makes them unattractive and upon the demise of Rabbi Shmuel the daughters of Israel raised forth a dirge and proclaimed Jewish girls over Rabbi Shmuel cry forth and similarly <coughs> you find with regard to Shoal, King Saul Pasuk is quoted on the side and you'll by quoting the whole Pasuk you'll appreciate the similarity between the story we saw with Rabbi Shmuel and what took place with Shaul HaMelech. So we glance at the side, uh, the starred note, we have a Pasuk from Shmuel Bey's Perak Aleph Pasuk of Dalet, Benoist Yisrael El Shaul Bechena Hamalbishchen Shoni Imadonim Hamale Ardi Zahav Al Levushchen From this Pasuk you see that Shaul Melech used to provide for Jewish women uh, silken garments with uh, golden adornments that were added to them. He cared for the attractiveness of the Jewish women folk. The Gemara asks, upon looking at this Mishnah, we seem to have Misa Listar. A Misa is featured in this Mishnah, in a, a, a story that seems to contradict the principle that was taught beforehand. Now, let's take a look at Rashi to appreciate what is bothering the Gemara. So we're looking in Rashi toward the, the last, uh, we'll say the last uh, quarter, last fifth of the Rashi commentary. Misa Listar, the Reisha Kotani Im Hoyanoa Mikora. The Reisha says that if the girl from whom he vowed concerning whom he vowed, stating that she was ugly, was actually attractive from the outset, that's a mistaken nether. However, if she really was uh, unattractive initially at the time that he vowed, but through some procedure, through cosmetic treatment, or uh, jewelry, she was made attractive, like the story that we saw involving Rabbi Shmuel, that would be what we've learned in the past, newly developed circumstances that were not present at the time of the initial vow, and uh, most uh, authorities hold you cannot absolve a vow based on nolad. And then we are taught this story where that very phenomenon is the basis of absolution from a vow. The very case of a girl who was initially uh, uncomely and, uh, uh, and made attractive. The Gemara responds, the Mishnah, as we have it, is uh, uh, abbreviated. But in order to appreciate its real um, understanding, understand it as follows. Rabbi Shmuel Oimer, Afilu 
Rabbi Shmuel actually disagrees with the previous opinion. He represents a new opinion. According to Rabbi Shmuel, as the Ran explains, you can poisich, you can pesech benolad. We saw this very point as a machlokes tanoim. And Rabbi Shmuel agrees with the opinion that you are poseach benolad. The uh, Gemara continues, uh, and as a result, even if she had been um, unattractive at the time of the vow and was subsequently made attractive, or Shcher Venasis Levona, Tzara Venasis Haruka, all of the examples that we saw in the Mishnah, uh, when the change takes place, even though the change is subsequent to the time of the vow, the vow is absolved. And the end was There's a, a comment made in the Rush that uh, we'll appreciate a little more when we go further in the Gemara, but the, if you look at the Rush at the bottom line, Rabbi Shmuel, according to the Rush uh, explanation, uh, which might be different than the explanation we saw in Rashi. The Rosh says that Rabbi Yishmuel's opinion was, since she had the potential of being made beautiful, she's not considered ugly from the outset. From this approach, it would seem that you're not dealing with a case of nolad whatsoever. The Ran, on the other hand, as we explained before, uh, said that he, Rabbi Shmuel, holds, yes, poschen benolat. This point, of course, is something that uh, one would want to research uh, uh, on, on another occasion. Let's continue in the Gemara. We turn to Omid Beis. We have a brisa that, we'll say, elaborates on the uh, Rabbi Shmuel's story with the uh, the girl that he uh, beautified. She initially had a false tooth. The also law Rabbi Shmuel Shane shall zahav Michelo and Rabbi Shmuel out of pocket made for her a golden tooth. Uh, of course, the question of beauty and all is is a very subjective matter. So, in the context of the Gemara, we are seeing that the original uh, false tooth was something that made her look ugly, but replacing it with a golden tooth, that beautified her. When Rabbi Shmuel passed away, so a eulogizer said as follows, The eulogizer uh, actually merged what was said concerning Rebbe Yishmuel with the text of the Pasuk that was used for Shaul from Sefer Shmuel Beis that we quoted uh, on the bottom part of Omid Aleph. You see we have a, a uh, marking and on the side of the Gemara we have a, an explanation. The Mivneh, the structural note, indicates that the diamonds are Sidrashal Maisim, a series of incidents, uh, one through three, He, a person vows uh, not, uh, to restrict benefiting so and so, that I'm not, that you are not to benefit from me until we'll see what the stories are. The double underline is featured under the Nosei Mivne heading, Nosei of the topic heading, with the structural note, Machloikes Tanoim. A, we'll see a, a Tanaic controversy between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon in their approach to a specific situation but you see from here a, a, a general might be a specific story but from this we conclude a general approach Im Alehem L'Shatik Pula is it something for a, a, a great Rav a great Torah authority to Lashate uh, Pula to uh, cooperate. The Lazar, the Isha, the Kaim Tanai Neder, Baila, Kadeshatia, Muteras, Lahanas, Mimeno. 
to, as they say, to cooperate with a woman in order to for, to, for her to fulfill the conditions of a vow, the, the result of which would be that she'll then be able to benefit from her husband. That might sound a little abstract, but with an example, things will be much clearer. Then turn to the Gemara. Man said to his wife, Kainim shiat li, ad Yehuda Shimon. I prohibit you from benefiting from me until you give uh, to Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Shimon from your cooked food for them to taste. You can imagine how her food tasted. Well, Rabbi Yudah taught him. Rabbi Yudah cooperated. He yielded. He compromised his his honor. Great Torah scholar, uh, stooping down to this. Uh, We'll say this uh, civil quarrel, and he tasted the food like the uh, like the conditions of the vow stated. Omar Kalvachomer, and he said the following Kalvachomer logic: Mind you, in a case where you have a man and a woman uh, at odds with one another, here there's a reference to the parsha. We know parsha Sota. The uh, married woman suspected of foul play, of immoral behavior, and the uh, woman, when when she falls under suspicion, uh, she becomes prohibited to her husband until until the the Beis Hamikdash ceremony that uh, revolves around this issue. It's called the we call Parsha Sota, and in the course of that ceremony, the Torah says that the uh, name of the Almighty, uh, after being written on a special parchment, is then erased over some water. Uh, what we're saying now is, in general terms, we're not, we're not uh, claiming to present all the details of that. That's for Maseches Sota. But in the meantime, one aspect of that uh, ceremony, that ritual, is the erasure of the name of God. And it's erased over water that the woman drinks. And if nothing happens to her, she returns to her husband. And they hopefully will live happily ever after. So, the Kalvachomer says, in order to make peace between man and his wife, Omro Torah, the Torah says, Shmi, my name. Shenichta Bikdusha that was written in holiness, is to be erased over water. In other words, it's scratched off the parchment, the ink uh, that formed the Almighty's name is scratched over some water. It's essentially erased from the parchment, and she drinks that water. That's uh al Hamayim Hamaorim. The Suffolk. There's an issue of doubt here. Was she guilty of, of of foul play or not? Vani alachas kama vakama. I says Rebuta in order to uh, preserve peace uh, between this couple, uh, and, and most likely in a definitive, in a, in, a, in a definite sense, all the more so. So the Almighty Himself is saying that let my name be erased in order to achieve. Um, to hopefully achieve uh, harmony between the couple where you see the Almighty compromising his honor all the more so me Rabbi Shimon Lotoyim Rabbi Shimon refused to taste Omar and he said let the let all the children of a widow die and Shimon will not move out of his place. And why did he say this? So that people shall not be get accustomed to vowing. Man swears, he vows that his wife shall not benefit from him. Unless or until she spits upon Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, the Nosi Hador, the leader of the generation. 
she came forth, she spit on his coat, on his garment, and she was permitted. In other words, the vow is was thereby released. The, the conditions were met. How is this a fulfillment of the condition when the husband's intention was to denigrate Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel? And denigration is not achieved with spittle landing on the victim's garment. It has to land on his flesh. Her spittle landed on his garment. Omar Lay, so Ravino answers, Spittle on the garment of the great Rabshimamliel, who is not a member of the rank and file of the population. He is head and shoulders above everyone else. He is the leader of the door. He's leader of the generation. Hence, spittle on his garment is a great denigration. And hence, the conditions, the intent of that husband were certainly met. Now the word mo'um means anything. Again, husband says, you will not be entitled to benefit from me until you show Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi anything that is, that is positive about you. You can imagine this husband's uh, perception of his wife. Omar Lohem so Rabbi Shmuel who is expected to uh, discover uh, something uh, pleasing or positive about this woman he says to them, Shema Roshanah, maybe she has a, 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 a an attractive head. Omru Lo, they told him, Skalgal, it's it's round or it's a, it's ball shaped, it's round, it's not something uh, attractive. Shema Sairanoah, maybe she has beautiful hair. No, Doimila Nitse Pishton, it looks like flax plants. Shema Inelanois, maybe she has pleasant eyes. No, Trutosain. The, the Ron explains truth is meaning they're circular, they're round. Shema is now noise. Maybe she has pleasant ears. No, kfulos hang. They are, the Ron says they're large, oversized ears. Shema chutmana. Maybe she has a pleasant nose. No, bolum hu. It's a, uh, it's the expression that you see in the Meforshim. It's salsum, it's, it's sealed. Shema sifsoiseha noise. Maybe she has pleasant lips. No, ovals hang there, thick. Shema tsabora no, maybe she has a pleasant neck. No, shokutu, it's very short. Shema kresa no, maybe she has a pleasant stomach. No, tsava, who it's inflated, it's it's bulging. Shema ragleo no, maybe she has pleasant feet. No, rechavos kishalabza, they're 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 wide or flat like that of a of an avos. An avos is a uh, a goose. Shema Maybe her name is pleasant. Her name is Lichluchis. Lichlus means uh, filthy, ugly. Uh. So Rabbi Shmuel says, Oh, Yofe, Kairin, Oisal Lichluchis. Shemu Lechas, Bemumin. Actually, she has a very fitting name, a very appropriate name, and hence the term Yofe. Well, she, it's, it's, she's uh, appropriately, nicely called Lichluchis. She is full of blemishes. The Sharia. And with that, the vow was absolved. Her name was Yofe. And the original vow said that something positive about her should be shown to Rabbi Shmuel. And by presenting her name, that fulfilled the condition. 
Hahubar Bovel de Solik Laaro de Israel. There was a man from Babylonia, and there was a language spoken in, in Bovel. I'm hesitating to use the uh, term Aramaic. We'll just say a certain dialect of Aramaic, or we'll just call it the Babylonian tongue. And the language spoken in Bovel, we'll see in this story, had words that in Israel, in the Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, uh, speech, language, similar sounding words, but with totally different meanings. That's why I, I suspect that you're dealing with different dialects of Aramaic. So a man from Bovel went to Eretz Yisrael, Nosevitsa, married a woman from Israel, Omar Law, and he said to her, Bashini li tre talfi. Please cook for me two talfi. Rashi <coughs> has two um, approaches to this. Uh, so if we look together in the Rashi, about a little more than halfway down the Rashi commentary, Bashili li tre talfi, shnei raglei behema. Cook for me too. Talfi, the word even in modern Hebrew, talafayim, has to do with the feet or hooves of animals. So he's asking, cook for me two legs of a behema, of an animal. And what did she do? Uh, the Gemara says, Bashilole tre talfichi. And she cooked for him two lentils. Uh, two lentil beans, as Rashi says, She, being from Eretz Israel, did not uh, recognize the language of the Babylonians. So that when she heard Talfi, that word in Eretz Israel uh, was a reference to lentil beans. So what did she do? She cooked up two beans. The Rashi says, "V'is the Garsi Vashili Tre Tlufchi." It's a different version, where he, the husband requested, "Cook for me two Tlufchi Klomar." What he meant to say, "Maata Doshim," a little bit. Shekain Adam Loimar. That's the way people speak. Uh, cook up the, when they want to say a little bit, they say two. V'is Savra the Shtei Adoshim Klomar Lo, and she thought that he meant literally two. V'bishlo Shtei Adoshim Bilvad. She didn't want to uh, deviate from his request. Of course, she thinking that he was referring to two lentil beans. Well, you can just imagine she brings a uh, a plate with a uh, possibly with a a uh, silver cover bowl covering it reveals what's underneath, and lo and behold, there are two lentil beans. And he got angry at her. Lamachar, next day, Omar Law, Bashili Li Griva. The word Griva, if you translate the word, it would be a, it's a certain measure. Now, as far as uh, quantity of food for someone to consume, it would be a large amount for an individual consume. That, that particular amount. The Rashi explains. If I tell her, make for me two, uh, like I did yesterday, uh, she's going to come out with literally two. He then said, well, cook up for me a griva, which is in effect a large amount. He figures that uh, by requesting a, a tremendous amount for her to cook up, it'll be too much work for her, and the result will be that she'll prepare a normal amount. But what happened in the story? So the man requested a griva, and the next day, lo and bold, bashila le griva. She prepared literally this very large amount. Omar la zili aisi li tre butsini. Husband requests of her, bring for me two butsini. Rashi says that in uh, the Babylonian tongue, it's a reference to a certain type of vegetation. Two avatichim. We mentioned that you can see this in the Rashi, but only if you uh, learn the Bach in Ois Nun along with the Rashi. So the husband is asking for her to bring two butsini. 
whatever it is, whatever that type of vegetation is, if it's two melons or two pumpkins or what have you, that's what he asked for. Aslis the icy lay tray shruggy. What did she do? She brought him two candles. Once again, the word butzini in Eretz Yisrael language is two candles. Husband says, take the two candles you brought, and he's quite upset, and he wanted some food, and she brought these two candles, and, and, she, and, and he says, go smash them, now, what is the husband's intent? Go break them at the entrance of the doorway. Above is a gate. It's as if he's saying, break them at the top of the gate. Well, the woman goes, have a Yosef Bova ben Buta Abova the Kadoyandina. Lo and behold, she, she goes to the gate, and there is the great Torah sage, whose name was Bova ben Buta, and who was sitting, um, judging people at the gate. The gate, when you speak about gates of cities, that's where the court used to sit. And, and Bova ben Buta was sitting there. And what was the husband's instructions? Go smash the candles, Aresha de Bova. Well, Aslus Fitavis Yasana, Aresha. She went and smashed these candles over Bova ben Buta's head. Probably hurt a bit. So Bova ben Buta asks, What are you doing? She says, Kach Sivani Bali. This is what my husband ordered me to do. Omar. Bava says to her, Im asit, If you have fulfilled your husband's will, The Almighty should bless you with two sons like Bava ben Buta. Obviously a, a great brocha, a great word of praise concerning a, a woman who is so devoted and so compliant with her husband's wishes. Uh, as you can see with this, we also end the ninth parak of Nadorim. With that, we conclude our shiur for today.